series called Flourish. It shouldn't be a secret to you uh, to know that God has things that he has in store for you and things that he wants to build in you. And thankfully, it's not contingent upon how we feel about ourselves when we first meet him, right? It's not about that. Jesus says, come to me, you who are thirsty, you who are weary, you who are doubting. Come to me, all of you. I'll give you rest. I'll give you what you need to be able to flourish. It's not about who we are when we meet him that is what's really exciting and, and, and gets us thinking about flourishing. It's about who we're becoming as we grow with him. It's about who we're becoming. Jesus can see in us who, the, the, the us that we can't see in ourselves because we get so mired in all of the things that are around us, right? It's not about really who we are or whether we're our best when we meet him, but it's about who we're becoming from that point forward. In 2 Corinthians 3, I'm not going to read out the whole scripture, but Paul talks about how um, we are becoming transformed day by day into the image of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. The longer we walk with him, the more we become like him. There's that, there's that, that phrase, that cliche you might hear, what you behold, you become. And with Jesus, that is true. When we behold him, we become more like him. As we submit our lives, as we were talking about in James, we submit and surrender to him repeatedly, day after day after day. He transforms us from the inside out to be a new person, to be more like he is. Now, Jesus told us in John 10.10 that he came so that we could have abundant life. But he also tells us in that same passage that the enemy has a plan for us as well. The enemy's plan is to steal and to kill and to destroy all of the things that God is trying to establish in us through Jesus and through the Holy Spirit. And, and so, so there's this, this tension, this battle going on, uh, this spiritual battle going on over our lives, over our souls, but then, then also just over, over our minds, over our emotion. It, it, it affects every part of our lives. But the, the baseline theme here is that God did not create us so that we would remain stagnant, he didn't create us so that we would regress. He created us with the intention that we would grow and we would flourish. So over the next five weeks, we're going to take a look at, our, at flourishing in our mind and emotions, our identity, covenant, purpose, flourishing in our work, flourishing in our rest. And I want to just give us a baseline definition of what it means to flourish. When I was teaching English, I always told my students, never start an essay with a definition. Never start with, Webster's defines such and such as this, and don't do that. I'm going to do that today. <laughs> Here we go. So flourish. To flourish is to grow or develop in a healthy or vigorous way, especially as the result of a particularly favorable environment. That's what it means to flourish. And if, you're, if we think about it in terms of gardening, in terms of farming, we can picture that, right? To flourish. But it's all in gardening and farming. It's all dependent upon external circumstances. The favorable environment relates entirely to the natural world. The soil has to be right. The weather has to be right. The conditions have to be right. We have to get just enough rain. Do certain things at just the right time. It's all dependent upon outside things as to whether that plant flourishes. But I want to share two scriptures that are going to serve as sort of the basis for this series where Jesus and Peter are reminding us that for us to flourish, 
It's not dependent on our external circumstances. This is what Jesus said to his disciples in John 15, verses 5 through 8. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and it withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Peter says in 2 Peter 1, 3 through 8, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through a knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Verse five, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection add love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus is reminding us in that that verse from Corinthians that it's our connection to him that produces fruit in our lives. There's fruit that comes from following God that is greater than our very best idea and our very best effort. Our very best idea pales in comparison to the idea that God has for us and to what he wants to do in us. So Jesus is reminding us there that our connection to him is what produces fruit in our lives. But Peter is reminding us that it's up to us to maintain that connection. Neither one of those things are dependent upon our circumstances. Regardless of your physical environment, you can create a spiritual environment that allows us to flourish. You can flourish no matter where you are. So that's sort of an intro to what we're going to be talking about through the next five weeks. How do we flourish in these different aspects of our lives? Now, the first aspect of our lives that we're going to be talking about is, is our mind and our emotions. Those are, are, the mind and the heart are two big battlegrounds for us. We live a lot up here in our heads, and we live a lot here in our emotions. And those two areas, if they're not, as we talked about in James, if they're not submitted to the will of God, can lead us in a lot of different places that he never intended us to go. There are things that we all go through relating to our mind and emotions. There's stress and there's anxiety. If you have felt stress or anxiety in the last, I don't know, week, could you raise your hand? We all go through those. Stress, anxiety, uh, worry, pressure. Those are things that, that are always present. Just because we live for God in a world that has fallen, right? So we're living a life that's counterculture. And because of that, there's pressure, there's stress, there's anxiety that can start to, start to eat at us and start to take us over if we let it, right? Another thing, though, that, that gets created in us, in our minds and our, our emotions, is just feelings of depression. And if you've experienced that, you know that that's a real thing. That's a real thing. I don't mean to discount that at all. There's, there's feelings of depression, like when you feel like you get the blues, 
And I've got the blues. Today it just feels like a Monday. I know it's Saturday morning, but it feels like Monday to me. That's real. There's also clinical depression, which affects, it affects fewer of us in the population, but it is very serious. It's very serious. It's very real. And what I don't want to do here, because I'm not, I'm, I'm not a licensed therapist. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not trained in that area. I, I'm not trying to diminish the reality of those feelings, those emotions, those conditions that we have. What I do want to do, though, and I think it's my responsibility as a minister and as a Christian to recognize that those exist, but all I can do is point the way to Jesus. That's all I can do. But I can tell you that he is enough for anything that is coming against us. He is more than enough. As Christians, that's all we can do. Point the way to Jesus and then walk with him. Walk other people to him. That's all we can do. And so that's what we're doing this morning. I think it's important for us to remember that we're created in the image of God. And he is triune. He's three parts. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're also created with three parts. We're created with a mind. We're created with a body. created with a spirit. And all of those things are designed to work in connection with one another. So... Topically, we're talking a little bit this morning about our mind and our emotions, but in a real-world sense, I, I want to talk about ourselves more holistically than that. And so we don't always look at ourselves holistically. A lot of times we'll focus on one aspect of our being at the expense of another. So we might say, man, I, I got to get my mind right. I got to get my heart right. Th- these things aren't, aren't working right now. I'm going to go ahead and and remove myself from some, from some situations until I can get these things right. And then when I'm great, I'll come back. And that doesn't always help us. It doesn't always help us because we end up dwelling and focusing on the problems that we're having in our mind, in our emotions, and, and, and we end up uh, putting our focus on those at the expense of our spirit, at the expense of our body. When we get to the point where we're ignoring two-thirds of ourselves to focus on the one-third, then we get out of balance. We get out of balance. And when one part of us suffers, every part of us suffers. This is kind of like God's design for the, the body of believers. 1 Corinthians 12, 26. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And I know that we want to deal with our problems sometimes individually because we want to address the pain point. But when we're talking about our mind, we're talking about our heart, it can actually make us spiral out of control. Romans 8, 7 says, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. So if I tell myself, I just want to focus on my mind, I just need to get my head straight, but I'm not incorporating my spirit into that process, then my mind is governed by the flesh, and it's not going to obey the spirit. It's not going to come in line with God's design for my life. And our, our, our emotions are the same way. Jeremiah 17, 5 and 9 says, Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? So today I'm going to talk a little bit about remembering our, our holistic design and trying to follow the encouragement that Peter is giving us in 2 Peter 3 when he talks about steps that add to our faith. And 
encouraging us to make every effort to confirm who Jesus has called us to be. Now, there are a couple of different encouragements specifically for our mind that, that the Apostle Paul has written for us in Scripture. We get Romans 12 too. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And the, the church in, in Philippi, he wrote in Philippians 4.8, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And that's, those are great reminders for us. But when we are spiraling, it's hard for us to figure out how to do that. How do I get to there from here? I think we have to look to Jesus. We have to look to the example that he gave us. And, and, and we have to ask ourselves, okay, Jesus, fully God, but fully human, was facing stresses and anxieties and reasons to spiral into depression that we will never face. I would dare say it's harder for him than it's ever been for any of us. And yet look at how he approached his life and his circumstance. I just want to bring us back. Once again, simple but not easy. I want to bring us back to a couple of practices that Jesus practiced throughout his life that we can see in Scripture. And if he did it, then we should do it. And these are things that can help us get back in balance and return to a holistic state of flourishing. So, practices of Jesus that I want to talk about. Number one, Jesus had a devotion to Scripture. Over and over again, we see Jesus responding not only to the demands placed upon him, but just in ordinary, everyday conversation, questions asked of him. He would be confronted or asked or presented with something, and he would respond with the Word of God. He would respond with what he had read, what he had internalized, what he, uh, what he had practiced in Scripture. He would respond with the Word. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And the Scriptures reveal to us three things. The Scriptures reveal, number one, who God is. We need to be reminded who God is. When, tr when troubles come, when life goes crazy, when everything is all topsy-turvy, what do we need to do? We need to remind ourselves and remind the situation and remind the spiritual forces at work who our God is. Who our God is. And we find that in the Word. We find that in the Scriptures. So Scriptures reveal to us who God is. Second, Scriptures reveal to us who we are. Did you know that you're an overcomer? You probably do. Do you remember it when the pressure's really on? Because that's what the Word says about you. You're the head and not the tail. The first and not the last. You're chosen. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. But when pressure comes, do we remember it? Jesus remembered it. Jesus embodied it because he was devoted to the Scriptures, devoted to the Word. So Scriptures reveal who God is, who we are, and what he wants us to do. And those three things that we find in Scripture are enough, knowing what the Word says, knowing what God has spoken over us. We find instruction, we find encouragement, we find comfort that leads to peace, we find wisdom, 
And the more of his wisdom we have, the less of our wisdom we have to rely on when the pressure comes on. Right? Psalm 19, 7 and 8 says, The law of the Lord is perfect. It gives us new life. His teachings last forever. And they give wisdom to ordinary people. The Lord's instruction is right. It makes our hearts glad. His commands shine brightly and they give us light. So we're talking about anxiety, stress, depression. Anxiety is just a fear of the unknown. We get worried because we don't know what's going to happen. We can't predict the outcome. So we start worrying and we start getting stressed. We start getting anxious because we're not in control. But knowing the scriptures helps us to combat that fear because we understand who God is, who we are, and what he wants us to do. And when we know those things, there's nothing to worry about. There's no reason to be anxious. We don't need to know the end. He knows the end. The second practice of Jesus is commitment to prayer. In the four gospels alone, there are 38 separate occasions where we are shown Jesus is praying. And in Matthew 6, 9 through 12, he shows us what to do, and how to live a life of prayer. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. How many of you have prayed that prayer by rote, not really thinking about what it means? You can say it so fast that you don't even have to think about it, right? Because you said it so much. But think about it. Think about this prayer. Think about what Jesus is instructing us to do. This is a prayer that exalts God above everything. It exalts God above all things. It reminds us that he is our source for everything. And then it submits, we submit our wills to him and we ask him to flow through us in forgiveness. It's a powerful prayer that we sometimes just gloss over because we know the words and we know the rhythm. But Jesus, is, Jesus was a person of prayer, is a person of prayer. And he taught us how we should pray, exalting God above all things, remembering that he's our source, submitting to him and asking him to flow through us. That kind of prayer is powerful for your mind and your emotions. When everything is spiraling out of control, that kind of prayer helps us to recenter and to remember who God is. Stress is too much weight on too small an area. Our lives get stress in them because we put too much in too small an area. We put too much on our own shoulders. My shoulders are narrow. I can't fit much on them. And if I try to pile too much in this small space, that's stress. But in prayer, we recognize who God is and that he's our source for everything and that we can release all of these things to him and he will carry that weight. And we can find our center. We can find our balance. We can gain perspective. We can give over our burdens to him. And the third thing, Third practice of Jesus, belonging in a community and serving others. Notice I didn't say just showing up in a community, right? Just attending a community. Belonging, belonging to a community. Um, we see Jesus repeatedly giving himself over in relationships. He was teaching large groups of people. 
you know, in, in that teacher-student relationship. He was walking with his disciples and with, with a handful of followers who he got to know so incredibly well, who he was sharing life with. And then every time we see in Scripture someone approaching him while he's on his way somewhere else, every time there's one who says, do you have a second for me? He was right there and said, yes, absolutely. I have more than a second for you. What do you need? He gave his life to relationships. And I got to say, relationships are hard. I don't know if you've noticed. And people, even you, are challenging. Right? I know when none of us thinks that we're the challenging one. You are totally the challenging one. To someone, we're all like that. We don't think that we are, but that's what makes relationships hard because we're all, we're all so different. We're all so different, but we're also all so wonderful and created and designed to be together. So as we embrace community, Wherever we're finding it, Christ-centered community, as we embrace that, we find a sense of belonging. We find a sense of belonging to something bigger than just ourselves. We're challenged to go outside of ourselves and to grow in empathy, to grow in patience, to grow in appreciation of other people and the unique qualities that they have. In community, that's what we do. We get outside of ourselves. Because honestly, inside of myself, that's where all the problems are. I'm probably better off if I just, you know, relocate a little bit emotionally and mentally. Because in here is where I'm stewing. Out there is where the opportunity is to grow. So as we embrace community, we get a sense of belonging. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. You don't hang around people enough, you get dull. Honestly, you get dull. You don't recognize it because you think you're awesome and you're all by yourself, but you get dull. And so community, but as we serve others, we connect to a sense of purpose that's greater than ourselves. Once again, we come up out of our problems. We come up out of ourselves. Jesus lived a life of service. And he said, anybody who wants to become great in the kingdom needs to become a servant. Why is that? Because we were designed to be in community. We were designed to, to fulfill a greater purpose than just what we happen to be stewing about at the moment. And we get reminded when we serve that we're created with unique gifts that the Father can use. You recognize who you are when you start to serve, and you recognize who other people are when you start to serve. 1 Peter 4.10 says, Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Feelings of depression cause us to try to isolate. They cause us to try to sequester ourselves off, either because we're, we just don't feel like we don't have the capacity to deal with people, or on some level we're embarrassed that we're feeling weak, or we, you know, or, or we just, you know, we just have, feel all this stress already, and we don't know if we're, I don't know if I'm going to be good for anybody right now. I don't want to be around anybody because I don't know if I'm good for them. You're good for them. You are good for them. You are uniquely and fearfully and wonderfully made, and uh, as I was preparing for this, I was reading study after study after study. The science is hard at work proving God's original design for us all the time. I'm reading study after study after study released in the last 10 years that say being in a community, having a sense of belonging with other people is not only preventive for feelings of depression, but curative. People in community find relief 
from these feelings of depression that want them to isolate. They fight against it. They don't stay all by themselves stewing in what they've got. They get out there. They're interacting. And it's hard. I know it is. But there's a blessing in it. Depression is deepened by isolation, but the connections that we make through community and through serving others, that's what affirms our God-given identity and our God-given purpose. We were not meant to walk through this life alone. And if you find that you are walking through this life alone, I want to say, reach out to someone. Reach out to someone. Be open, just even just a little bit, if someone is reaching out to you. Don't push them away. Don't push them away. Allow yourself to be ministered to and open up to the possibility that you have great things inside to minister to another person that they need. Don't deprive the world of you. Don't deprive community of you. So Jesus, these, are, these are practices Jesus made a regular part of his life. And as we follow his ways, we create this spiritual environment. Right? Flourishing is growth, vigorous growth that comes from being in the right environment. Your physical environment and sometimes our mental and emotional environment are not conducive to growth. Sometimes they're not. But we can create a spiritual environment in our lives, embracing these practices. And they all work together. Spirit, mind, body, emotions, all working together as we, as we read the scriptures, as we study them, internalize them, as we pray, as we get into community with other people and we serve others, what we find is that he moves through us and makes us more whole. We are transformed into his image when we are doing the things that he did and when we're seeking his heart for our lives. So I want to close here with this, Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9. This sort of encapsulates a lot of what we've been talking about this morning. Rejoice in the Lord always. These are practices. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Don't deprive the world of you. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. And that's what I'm hoping we get to today. Paul is writing this to the Philippians, but I believe Jesus says this over us. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, whatever we see in Jesus, put that into practice and the God of peace will be with you. 